Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bible, you're going to be turning to the Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Last week, we looked at Revelation 15, and I shared with you at that time that Revelation 15 and 16 both deal with the seven bowls of wrath. Chapter 15 sees it from a heavenly perspective. What is happening in heaven? What is taking place in heaven? And one of the things that happened there was he saw the seven angels coming out from the temple, and they were dressed in priestly garb, because they were carrying on a priestly role or responsibility of preparing the way and paying the sacrifice or offering the sacrifice for the cleansing of sin. And there was such power in the temple of God that no man could enter in at that time. Then in chapter 16, we come to see the same events, the seven bowls of wrath, from an earthly position or from a worldly perspective, what actually happens here in this world. Remember, as far as our chronology, we started with the seven seals. When we got to the seventh seal, it ushered in the seven trumpets. When we got to the seventh trumpet, it now part of the seven trumpet are the seven bowls of wrath, which are the final judgments of God upon this world. And so we need to put that in perspective so we understand as we look at these seven bowls of wrath. This is what it says in chapter 16 of the Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of wrath of God into the earth. Verse 2. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The first bowl of wrath, the first censer that is offered before the, by the angel regarding the wrath that must come into this world, the judgment of this world, it says that when it was poured out on the earth, it became loathsome and malignant sores. But it's not upon everyone. Notice, it is upon those who have and receive the mark of the beast. Before you go any further, let's talk about some things that you need to get in your mind to compare about these bowls of wrath. One of the things is that many of these bowls of wrath are very consistent with the plagues of Egypt. The plagues of Egypt, you remember whenever Moses was there and trying to get Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go, and Pharaoh would harden his heart, that God brought ten plagues upon the people of Egypt for Pharaoh to humble himself and allow the people to go. So there are many comparisons to these seven bowls of wrath to those plagues. This one actually, in regard to it, is the sixth plague. If you want to read about it when you get home, you can read it in Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. It talks about that the bulls, the bulls came upon the Egyptians, those horrible bulls. Well, these also are a fact that they're not only bulls, but it says they're malignant sores. 
A comparison of that might be, if you go back and study, when the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. You remember that? The Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines, and when the Philistines had it, you remember what they encountered? They encountered malignant tumors in their body because of the judgment of God upon their sin of holding onto the ark. Finally, they wanted that ark to go back to Israel because they'd had enough of that because of these malignant sores. Now, an interesting thing about those tumors or sores, it, it is an expression of an outward expression of an inner corruption. It's, really what I, it's an outward expression of an inner problem. Those sores on their body, it originates on the inside and it's expressed on the outside. And so when it pours out these bowls of wrath, God just causes these loathsome, malignant sores to come upon not everyone, but upon those who have the mark of the beast. Just like in many of the plagues in Egypt, it didn't go on all the plagues, they did not go on all the people, the Israelites, but there were times when God would distinguish between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Egyptians might encounter it. The Israelites would be saved from it. Well, this is the way it is in regard to this bowl of wrath. This will not affect those who are believers in Christ. These will not affect those who are saints by tribulation. But this will fall upon those as a judgment and a bowl of wrath upon those who have received the mark. And as they have received that mark, these loathsome sores will fall upon them. Now, remember... Now, when it says about the seventh trumpet or the third woe, which are all these bowls of wrath, it says that it will come quickly, which means this, that these events that we're about to read about are not going to happen, well, a month, and then six months later, it's going to happen, and six months later, these things are happening sequential. Matter of fact, in the Greek language, it doesn't even say much about the angel. It just gives the number, one, two, Three, four, it's just numbering off these bowls of wrath. They are happening rapidly in, in regard to these bowls of wrath that God has sent. Now look what it says in verse number three. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in it died. This also has a relationship with the plagues of Egypt. It was the first of those plagues. You remember what happened there, don't you? Whenever he goes out, he takes Aaron's staff, places it in the Nile River, and what happened? The Nile became blood. And that was a fearful thing for them when they saw that, for the Nile to become blood. This is the same experience as that. But God sends now, not only that it is going to come into the Nile, it's the sea. All of the seas would become blood. Not that it looks like blood, but that the very chemical makeup of it would be blood. Why is that important? Because that's why all the creatures of the sea die. Because they were made where they could withdraw oxygen out of the water and therefore they can live. But when the chemical makeup of that which they're swimming in is no longer water, but it is blood, then they die. And it says all of the creatures of the sea will die. Did you hear that? All the creatures of the sea will die. Now, that's in comparison to the second trumpet. You go back and look at what it talks about the second trumpet. You remember what happened there? It said a third of the sea. A third of the sea was turned to blood and a third of the creatures of the sea died. Here, all the creatures of the sea will die. Could you imagine what that would be like? Could you imagine that? Have any of you ever been on the coast 
whenever for some reason there are a lot of dead fish that get washed up on the shore and they've been there a couple of days? Have you ever been there? It is a smell that you do not want to experience. Could you imagine all the creatures of the sea dying and all of them dying at one time and all of that stench that would be upon the earth? All of the sea has turned to blood and all the creatures died. That's not all though. That's what it says in verse four. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. Not only did the sea become blood, but it says also the third bowl of wrath is that the rivers and the springs of water will become blood. Not look like blood, but will become blood. Consistent with what happened in the Egyptian story and the Egyptian plague of that first plague that happened. It's also consistent with what happened in the trumpet, the third trumpet that blew, when it says that a third of the rivers would receive that and wormwood would come and creatures would die. But this is not a third. This is the totality of the rivers and the springs. Now, why is that so important? Because one thing we need to live is what? Water. We don't drink the ocean water, but we drink fresh water, don't we? And where do you get water from? Not a plastic bottle. Not a plastic bottle. You get water from the rivers and streams and springs of the earth. And therefore that which you need, it says, has now become blood. So here is something that you're going to need that you can't have, that there's nothing of. Existence on the earth is not going to last very long without there being some fresh water. An interesting thing about this compared to the plague that was in the Egyptian time, if you'll remember, it says, if you go out there and read it, it says that the Nile was turned into blood, but the Egyptians went and they dug holes to dig up water to get to the springs of water to drink fresh water. But here, this says that even if they were to dig to find the springs, it's going to turn into blood. That's the third of the bowls of wrath. Now, after that, there is this statement and proclamation from heaven regarding these aspects of turning the water into blood. That's what it says in verse 5. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous art thou who art and who wast, O holy one, because thou didst judge these things. Listen to verse 6 now. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. They deserve it. That's one of the most unusual phrases that you'll find about. They deserve it. Why is it that this judgment of blood has come? The angel pronounces and says, you are a righteous and true God. And you have shed the blood. They have, people have shed blood of the saints on the earth. And therefore, since they like blood so much and they shed so much of the bloods of the saints and righteous, you have given them blood to drink. And they deserve it. Wow. I know one thing. I probably deserve it too, but I'm glad God doesn't give me what I deserve. Amen. I'm, I'm glad God gives me what I need, what, not what I deserve. 
But this proclamation from heaven, this angel says, the reason that the water has turned to blood is because of all the blood of the saints that has been spilt upon this earth. Then something very unusual happens. Listen to verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, the true, and the righteous are thy judgments. Why is that unusual? Because it says a voice is heard from the altar. That carries us back to something. Let me show you. Turn back in the Revelation to chapter 6. In chapter 6, we introduce you to the five seals, or the seven seals. And, I, and when we came to the fifth seal, the fifth seal was regarding the martyrs. Those who had died in tribulation. And do you remember where they were located? Where those martyrs were located? Under the altar. Under the altar. And you remember what they said? This is what they said in verse 10 of chapter 6. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging? Here it is. Our blood on those who dwell on the earth. That was the question. How long, Lord? We've been martyred. Our blood has been shed. How long, O Lord, will you wait to avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth who have taken our lives? How long? And the Lord basically that time says, just be patient. Just be patient. Well, now is that time. Whenever God is judging because of what they did in the shedding of those saints' blood, God is sent forth for them to consume blood because they like it so much, he says, they deserve it. And from the altar, you hear those martyrs saying, Lord, you are mighty and you are righteous and thy judgments are true. It's an amen or agreement that finally, Lord, you are judging for what was done and has been done to us. Then in verse 8, it picks up with the fourth of those bowls of wrath. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun. And it was given to it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. This is a relationship to that fourth trumpet. The fourth trumpet regarding the illuminaries. You remember that? That the sun, moon, and stars would lose one-third of their ability to shine. Now it would only be two-thirds of the light that would ordinarily be given. That fourth trumpet dealt with the illuminaries, but this is different. This is dealing with the illuminary of the sun, but it's not about losing its light. It's about scorching the earth. That God is going to take that sun, which is so vital to our lives, so important to us living. Our relationship to the sun is of utmost importance for us to have health. But God made this world in such a way that he put ozone layers around it to protect us from the harmful rays of the sun. All God has to do is to remove those ozone layers and we will be scorched. And it says this judgment will be the scorching of the sun. That when men go out, they will be scorched and they will be burned. Tremendous heat 
from the sun will come forth. Now remember this. All these things are happening in sequential order. Not only is there the heat of the sun and the scorching of the sun, but it also, remember, we don't have any water. <laughs> we run out of water. And whenever you get hot, you need what? Water. You need to consume water. And now the desperate situation is the heat and the scorching of the sun is happening and there's no water there. There's this building and building and building of the wrath and the judgment of God. But there's an interesting part here in verse 9 that I please do not miss it. It says, when men were scorched with fierce heat, listen, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. That's one of the most amazing things that you'll read in Scripture to me. Because if you were facing those plagues, in your mind, think about it. If you were facing these plagues and there were these loathsome sores and, and there's these no water in the sea and no water to consume of and, and now all of a sudden the sun is scorching you, what do you think you would do? I, I would hope I would get on my face before Almighty God and say, God, help us. Amen? God, show us mercy. God, our only hope, our only help is you. God, help us. But is that what happens here? No. These earth dwellers, remember that's what they're called. They're called earth dwellers because they don't have their eyes on God, have their eyes on this earth. Instead of them doing that, they blaspheme the name of God. They got angry at God. They were frustrated with God. And they weren't turning to God in any way. It says, rather, it says they did not repent so as to give him glory. Instead of them repenting, getting right, allowing God to do something in their life, they blaspheme God and they turn their hearts away from God. You know, when I read that and I started thinking about that and studying that, that totally changed my attitude and my spirit about what hell and eternal punishment is going to be like and those people who dwell there. I don't know what you've ever had in your image. I've always had this image in my mind that when people go to hell that there's going to be this humbling of their heart and they're going to say, boy, I wished I had gotten saved. I wished I'd made this decision. I'm so sad. I wish I'd have another chance. I've always thought about it that way. But based on this scripture right here, you know what it says? That whenever that person has turned so far away from God and they don't have God, when something happens, even hell itself, they're going to blaspheme the name of God and will not repent. And it's not a matter they're sorry where they are. They're just so full of pride that even in the midst of their pain, they're turning their hearts away from God. Away from God. Well, I can't think that really happened. It happens today. It happens today. Have you ever encountered somebody who went through something and you think it's going to push them towards God? But it doesn't push them towards God. It pushes them where? Away from God. They blame God. They're angry with God. And they certainly do not repent and they do not give the glory to God. And so these here, when they're going through this experience of this scorching sun, instead of causing them to turn to God, they turn further away from God and blaspheme Him. Look at verse 10. 
And the fifth angel poured out the bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. This, likewise, is like one of the plagues of Egypt. It's the ninth plague when darkness came. Remember what happened there? The darkness came over the Egyptians. Now, I can't understand this and fathom this in my mind, but the darkness came over the Egyptians in Pharaoh's household, so dark they couldn't even see themselves. But over there with the Israelites, they experienced light. Now, one's, they're both in the land of Egypt, one's Goshen, and here where the Egyptians dwell, but they have darkness. The same type of experience. This is going to be darkness over the kingdom or the throne of the beast. The Antichrist is going to have darkness that's going to come upon it. Not upon other parts of the world, but upon him there will be that darkness. Those who dwell in his kingdom, upon them there will be that darkness. And notice what it says. In the midst of that darkness, they will gnaw their tongues because of the pain. See, that, those sores haven't been made well yet. they still got the malignant sores that are on their body. And those sores are upon their body. And now, going through those experiences, he've come to a place of darkness. And in that time of darkness, things get worse. You ever notice how darkness makes things worse? I mean, somebody can be, you can be kind of halfway sick and you can get into the dark and you get real sick. You ever notice whenever you're sick, you can't wait till daylight gets there? I was like, man, is daylight ever going to come? Because if daylight comes, things are going to get better. We're going to feel better. Things will be better. But darkness makes things worse. And so here they are in their pain and agony, living in a world that is God-given darkness to them. And what do they do? They gnaw their tongues. They're in such pain that they gnaw their tongues. Tongues that should be used to repent. Tongues that should be used to call out to God. Tongues that should be for that expression. They gnaw their tongues. That's what it says there in verse 11. And they blaspheme the God of the heaven because of their pains and their sores. Here it is again. And they did not repent of their deeds. Nothing is pushing these earth dwellers towards God. Everything pushes them away. From God. Look at verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up that the way might be prepared for the kings of the east. Go on. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Then there are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. And they gathered them together at this place in which Hebrew is Harmageddon. This is the sixth bowl of wrath. So what is the sixth bowl of wrath? 
It says that whenever the angel pours out the bowl, he pours it upon the river Euphrates, and the river Euphrates dries up. Now, this is consistent with what it says in the sixth trumpet. This is the sixth bowl of wrath. The sixth trumpet was about the Euphrates. You remember what happened there? It says they go and they release the four angels that have been held captive at the Euphrates. And then they come forth, those four angels, in order to deceive the world. And then you also find the fourth trumpet that there are 200 million soldiers who are going to cross over, horsemen who are going to cross over the Euphrates. And how do they cross over the Euphrates? Because here in this bowl of wrath, when they pour it out, it dries up the Euphrates so that that mighty army can walk across on dry land. And they're making their way towards this Armageddon. Now, if there's anything anybody knows about the Revelation, is the Battle of Armageddon. You hear everybody talk about the Battle of Armageddon. They name Armageddon everywhere, all right? But everybody knows about this battle, this end-time battle is going to take place. And this 200 million army is headed in one direction. You got the king of the north who's headed in another direction. You got the king of the south who's coming from another direction. And everybody's coming to gather in that place where there is going to be the end of all wars. What you cannot imagine is going to take place in that time of Armageddon. Now, it's covered in greater detail in chapter 19. So we're not going to spend time on it here. We'll deal with it in chapter 19, the greater details about it. But one thing I thought about, and I, I just kind of caused me to, to think and meditate, how in the world does all these kings and all these nations end up at one time? Well, it tells you exactly how it happened. It says that out of the beast and out of the false prophet and out of the Antichrist, out of them is going to come forth demons. Demons like frogs, it says. And those demons are going to deceive the kings and cause the kings and the nations to feel like this is what we must do. This is where we must go. It's a demonic deception that brings all of this together for the ultimate war and battle to take place and for the ultimate judgment of the world to take place. That will be covered in chapter 19. Look at what it says in verse 17 then. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. Please underline that. That's an important phrase. It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. This is what it says. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Please underline that. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blaspheme God because of the plagues of the hell, because its plague was extremely severe. The final bowl of wrath, going to be an earthquake like the world has never seen. Now, all throughout this revelation, we've heard earthquake, earthquake, all kinds. But this earthquake is going to be like an earthquake that the world has never seen. It says that man has never seen since he's been on the earth. It's going to be such an earthquake that it's going to reconfigure the world. 
It says the great city is going to be divided into three parts. Now, some people think that great city is Jerusalem, and other people think that is, is Babylon. We'll talk about that later, what that great city is. But just imagine this, that an earthquake that would divide that massive city, that great city, into three parts. Three parts. That's amazing that that would take place. That's not all, though, it says is going to happen. It says this earthquake is going to happen, going to split it in three parts. Babylon the Great is going to suffer that wrath. But it says every island fled away. Here, listen to this. And the mountains were not found. Wow, that's something. Here's a mountain, and in a matter of an hour, it's what it's going to tell you over in chapter 19. And 18 and 19, it's going to tell you, within an hour, Babylon is gone. Within an hour, an hour, 60 minutes. The world has drastically changed that quickly. Do you hear that? Now, islands fled away and the mountains can't be found. Let me tell you how, how excited that is about me. Lynn and I, this week, we went to the Grand Canyon. We've been wanting to go there a long time, so we went out to the Grand Canyon. And that's a beautiful place, a massive place. What God did is, is amazing. The only frustrating thing you go to the Grand Canyon is that every tour bus you get on or everybody you're talking to wants to tell you how many millions of years it took for this to happen. Well, it's 700 million years for this. Matter matter of fact, we walked this trail along the rim. It was two and a half miles we walked along the rim of of the southern edge. And every 20 feet it had a little decal in a golden medallion that would say, the first one would say, 200 million years ago. You walk about 20 more feet, kind of up, and it'd say 220 million years ago. 20 more feet, 230 million years ago, 240 million. Kept going. I took a picture of that because I wanted to, I, I'd always wondered how they knew that. I didn't know God put those medallions down there in the earth, but he must have put it right there. It says 220 million. The only thing about it was funny to me is it was surrounded by asphalt. I had no idea asphalt was that old. Did y'all? Now, now here's, here's the whole frustrating thing. The frustrating thing is that somebody's going to try to explain to you how old the world is when they ain't been here. They ain't, none of them been here. But they'll tell you how old it is in regard to that because they'll tell you this. It couldn't have happened like God said it happened. It can't take place like that. That can't take place in a day. Let me tell you what. God is going to cause the mountains to disappear in an hour. And at that point in time, when the mountains disappear in an hour, you think somebody's going to catch in their mind, hey, you know, he might have been able to do that in seven days. He might have been able to do that in seven days. If the mountains can disappear in an hour. My personal opinion is I'd rather believe what God recorded, amen? (laughs) Than for somebody else to try to figure it out. Because all they are is trying to figure it out and telling us this and that. Beautiful place, glorious place, but I think God put it just there, made it just for us to enjoy and for God to confound the minds of men trying to say, figure out what I did. Just figure out what I did. Explain it. You don't have to explain it. Just believe it. Bless God. Amen. (laughs) In an hour, the mountains will go away. Not only that, Huge hailstones. Once again, that's an Egyptian plague. The hail fell. It's the seventh plague. The hailstones fell upon them. It's interesting in the book of Exodus, it says that they tell them, hail is coming. Hailstones are coming. If you don't want to die, go inside. 
For the Egyptians who believed what they said, they went inside, they and their beast, and lived. For those who denied it, they died. They suffered the consequences of it, right? Hailstones. But have you ever had a hailstone 100 pounds falling? That would hurt. That could do some damage, don't you think? The hailstones fall. And listen to what it says. Came down from heaven upon... But the men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell, because the plague was extremely severe. All they wanted to do is blame God for everything instead of repent. Now, very quickly, I want two, just a couple minutes to share with you two important statements. I had you to underline one of those statements. There in chapter 16, verse number 17. Had you underline this, remember? Seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. That is important. That announces that it is finished. That voice coming from the temple, I believe, is the voice of God. But more specifically, I really believe it's the voice of Jesus. For see, Jesus had said that once before, hadn't he? He said that hanging on the cross when he said, it is finished. And what did he mean by it is finished? It is finished. I have totally, absolutely fulfilled and paid for the judgment of man, for the sin of man. And I have redeemed man by dying on this cross. And it is finished. Now, listen, now he pronounces after that seventh bowl of wrath. That it is done. It is finished. God has accomplished everything. His wrath is sufficient that the judgment has been made. And he's done everything necessary to judge the world. To judge this world and creation so that he might make it new. He might make it brand new. Just like he wants to. But what did Jesus say? It is done. Wow. I can't wait till that gets done. Amen? I can't wait till that, those words are pronounced from the temple of heaven. One other thing I want you to see very quickly. Verse 15. In the midst of all of this bad news, in the midst of all these warnings, this is what Jesus says. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garment, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. Remember, this is written to the church. Remember, this is written to the world before all these things take place. Remember that Jesus is saying, I am coming. I'm going to come. And blessed is the one who stays awake and who keeps his garment. That garment is not a physical garment, but it's the garment of righteousness in your life. The garment of righteousness that you have. And blessed is that one who stays awake and keeps his garment on. Do not go to sleep. Do not miss out. Keep your garment on. I don't know about you. When I, when I go to sleep, I don't sleep in a suit. When I go to sleep, I don't sleep in jeans. I, I, I don't, you know, that kind of clothes wouldn't be real comfortable to sleep in. So we usually, if we go to sleep, we take our garment off. He says, don't spiritually, do not go to sleep. Do not go to sleep. You keep your garment on. You keep that garment of righteousness on because he said what? 
Lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. That I show up. That I've shown up and you've never put on that garment. I've shown up and you never had that place of righteousness in your life. That I've shown up and you're naked and shameful. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're prepared. Make sure you put that garment on because I am coming. I'm coming. And this specifically is talking about in this tribulation period of time. Because, you know, really Jesus coming as a thief in the night is not for the rapture because he doesn't steal anything, does he? (laughs) He doesn't steal me. I'm his anyway. Amen? When I'm going, he's not stealing me. He's taking me. He owns me. But that thief in the night is really this tribulation period of time. He's coming. Don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. You better be awake. You better be ready. You better be prepared. Either today, before the rapture of the church, for those of us who live here, or for that one who is in the tribulation period and who is still redeemed, even though as a martyr. Be ready, for Jesus said he is coming. Now, next couple of weeks, we'll take and we'll look at verses 17, 18, and 19. Chapter, I'm sorry, chapter, chapter 17 deals with this. Deals with the religion of the beast, the religion of the, the false prophet, the religion of that period of time, the old enemy. And there's a specific religion that has to be dealt with by Christ, by judgment. And chapter 18 is going to deal with the political and the economic and even the educational systems of the enemy at that time. And then in chapter 19... He'll deal with the military power of the enemy. 17, 18, and 19 are giving you the culmination of what it takes to cleanse this world, this world system of the enemy that is more detailed than what you got in these bowls of wrath. But then after that, bless God, Jesus comes. Amen? And after that, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. After that, that's where we've been waiting for, right? To get to that good stuff. We can't wait to get there to see what is going to happen for those who are redeemed and for those who love the Lord Jesus. Do you know him? Have you put his garment of righteousness on? Are you ready to meet him? I hope you are. If not, you can today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, you have the opportunity of the grace and mercy of God. And if you'll come and give your heart to Christ... He will save you. He saved me. If he saved me, he'll save anybody. So if you've never given your heart to Christ, today's the day of salvation. Come and give your life to Jesus. Maybe child of God say, I already know I'm saved. Well, if you're saved, you ought to be telling somebody, amen? When we read the stuff of what we read about, we don't want, we don't want any of our friends, anybody we know, we don't want them to go through that or experience that. We want them to be saved. And, and that's the message of the gospel, to tell somebody. Maybe hearing you've been praying about a church home and God's spoken to you that he would want you to serve and be a part of the Parker family. We'd love for you to come. Maybe there's a burden on your heart. You just need to come and cast before the Lord and let him take that burden away so that when you leave here, you live here free, free of that worry, free of that care. The invitation time is for us to respond to what God's still small voice has said to us during this worship experience. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series.
Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.